Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Me Athlete Radio. This is Matt Frazier with the No Meat Athlete Radio Podcast, episode 16. I am not joined today by my co-host, Doug Hay. Doug and I had a little bit of a scheduling issue today, but we recorded most of this episode a few days ago. It's an interview, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. But in other news, and what I like to blame is the real reason why Doug is not here, is that Doug's getting married this weekend. So if you are a fan of Doug or know Doug, Check him out at rockcreekrunner.com or on Twitter. You can find him at rockcreekrunner. And just give him a little congrats. Tell him you enjoy listening to him on No Meat Athlete Radio and uh, give him any sort of words of wisdom you might have about the next phase. I'll just leave it at that. So I mentioned an interview, and our guest today is Gene Bauer, the co-founder of Farm Sanctuary. Uh, most people probably already know Gene as the founder of Farm Sanctuary because uh, they do a great job of, of marketing in what I think is a way that's not super high pressure uh, the way some other animal advocacy organizations are. And that fits in very well with kind of what I like to do and the way I like to spread this message with No Meat Athlete. So I was excited to have Gene on for that reason. But besides that, and this might be the bigger reason, is that Gene is himself a No Meat Athlete. And just this past July, the same weekend actually that I ran my first 100 miler, Gene completed his first Ironman triathlon. And actually, back in 2012, when we had a No Meat Athlete group run the Rock and Roll USA Marathon and Half Marathon in D.C., and we did a big dinner and kind of training thing with it, Gene joined us for, unexpectedly, for the dinner of that, which was really a cool surprise. I just had happened to be talking to some of the Farm Sanctuary people a few days before that. They mentioned that Gene was running this marathon for his first one, and we just thought, wow, what a perfect combination that would be. So it worked out really well. He was awesome. Uh, he ended up running that race, I think he broke 3.30, maybe 3.25 in the marathon, beat pretty much everyone, actually I think actually did beat everyone in our group, including me, I don't know, I think I ran a 3.35 or something that day, and uh, he qualified for Boston, and this is his first marathon, keep in mind. Uh, so, you know, he really seems to have a knack for endurance sports, and I think it's just fantastic that, that a guy who whose you know, face and name are known as primarily associated with animal advocacy that he does these endurance sports, does them very well, and makes it public with his with the Farm Sanctuary blog and Farm Sanctuary Facebook and different media that they kind of reach because of Farm Sanctuary. So I think it's really good for our movement, and uh, I was honored to have Gene on. I, I think you'll enjoy the interview. It was The first half of it is definitely more focused towards Farm Sanctuary and kind of leaving a little bit of ethical kind of discussions that we usually stay away from on No Meat Athlete, but uh, Gene is kind of the guy that, or is a guy that I'm comfortable talking about that stuff with so it's good it's definitely worth listening to the second half we kind of get more into the sports and what we use to for fuel on our events and just kind of how gene how he basically got from you know i think only a few years ago he was into half marathons and he only picked it up not all that long ago very quickly progressed to the marathon and then to the ironman which you know is something that even after i'd run three or four marathons i remember thinking one day I'd like to do an Ironman, but I don't know if I ever can. I mean, it just seems like so much work, so much energy, and so much fitness. I mean, having to get in that kind of shape. So, you know, even after being a pretty experienced runner, I still doubted whether I'd do an Ironman. I still kind of doubt it, uh, mostly because of time considerations. I, I, Having done a 100-miler, I think I probably can 
can get to the point where I need that I need to be for the fitness. Um, but it's you know learning the three different skills, taking the amount of time to train all those different skills. That's something that I do not know if I have the dedication to actually do. So uh, I admire anyone who does. So it's a good interview. You'll enjoy it. Before we get to it, I wanted to mention two things. The first one is that my book, which is called No Meat Athlete, Run on Plants and Discover Your Fittest, Fastest, Happiest Self, is officially available for pre-order. Um, there's a page on my blog called www.nomeatathlete.com slash book dash info, I-N-F-O. On that page, you can get a bunch of information about the book. You'll also see what a bunch of different people said about it. Lots of big names that you'll recognize said really nice things about the book, uh, for which I am forever grateful. Uh, and also information about how you can pre-order it. For those who don't know, pre-ordering is pretty important to first-time authors like me. Uh, it basically signals to bookstores that people want this book, and it's something that is worth stocking and buying a good amount of and promoting and putting on the good tables up front so that people actually see it and people actually buy it. So if you like No Meat Athlete, if you enjoy this podcast, and if you want to help get that message out there as much as possible, then uh, pre-ordering it would be a huge favor to me as opposed to just buying it when it comes out. Of course, I very much appreciate you just buying it when it comes out, if that's what it comes to. Uh, but if you're going to do that anyway, go ahead and pre-order it. It's a big help. And the other thing that I have to tell you about today is very much related to our interview, and that is that a few days ago we launched the No Meat Athlete Triathlon Roadmap, which is the third in this roadmap series. I wrote the Marathon Roadmap and Half Marathon Roadmap, which have been really great, helped a ton of people run marathons and half marathons on plant-based diets, and now we've added a triathlon version of it. Uh, I've, as I mentioned, will very likely never do an Ironman, so I'm not the person to write a triathlon roadmap. I've never even done a triathlon. So we, I had Susan Lakey, who writes for the blog very often, also a uh, triathlon magazine author, and she went from, this is several years ago, she stopped smoking, uh, ran a 5K within a few months of that, and within two years, I think 20 months after that, did her Ironman. So she went from 5K to Ironman, actually from the couch to Ironman, in 20 months, which to me is unfathomably fast. So I'm amazed by that still. I still don't know how she did it. She's explained it to me many times. She's written posts about it. But anyway, she didn't have to do that for this for this triathlon roadmap. Uh, this was about getting your first triathlon done on a plant-based diet. So it doesn't really cover Ironman distance or anything like that. But many of the principles are, of course, the same. And it's a great introduction to a sprint triathlon. So I have a feeling that I will do a sprint triathlon at some point. I doubt that I'll ever get up to Ironman distance, as I said, but I don't know. Now that I've done the 100-miler, I think I sort of want to shift. I'm going to focus on a fast marathon time, but I'd like to just kind of expand my horizons and, and maybe learn how to swim and bike and do the try thing. So anyway, if you're interested in that, you can find that at nomeatathlete.com slash triathlon dash roadmap. I'd appreciate it if you check it out. Uh, it comes with a few bonuses, some interviews, and things like that. So it's a really great resource, and Susan did a fantastic job with it. Oh, and I have one more announcement, and that's the No Meat Athlete Book Tour is coming together. I've firmed up dates for probably three-quarters of the cities that I'm going to be stopping at. It's kind of grown into something much bigger than I had anticipated. It's actually going to be the entire month of October and through a good part of November, even through, I think, November 20th or so. So about 50 days on the road. I uh, cannot wait to get out there and meet all of you and just have a lot of fun doing runs, you know, grabbing a beer, grabbing a coffee, doing a few talks. I've been doing the Toastmasters thing and kind of learning how to uh, actually be a decent 
public speaker instead of saying ums and ahs and you knows all the time, which I definitely have the tendency to do. And now I'm searching for a, jo a word to, to join my thoughts together besides one of those. Anyway, the information for that is online right now. It's not the official information, just kind of the rough route. And within, I think, the next week or so, I'm going to have up an official schedule. that will have most of the days filled in. I'll still be searching for venues for a few of the cities, but for the most part, they'll all be filled in there. So you can figure out where I'm going to be in your area so that you can come out and we can meet, shake hands. You can listen to me talk if you like that go for a run, or all those other things that I just mentioned. So, with that, let's get to this interview. As I mentioned, Doug and I recorded this a few days ago, so you'll hear the interview, and then you'll hear Doug and I with our kind of closing comments or thoughts after it. All right, enjoy the interview. Hey everyone, Matt Frazier here, as always with my co-host Doug Hay, and welcome to episode 16 of the No Meat Athlete radio podcast. And we have a very special guest today on the line with us right now, actually. Uh, his name is Gene Bauer. Many of you will, of course, already know him as one of the founders of Farm Sanctuary, which is a fantastic organization that I myself am a big fan of. Uh, what you may not know is that Gene is also an endurance athlete. He, uh, he got into marathons a few years ago, and just recently, actually the same weekend as I ran my 100-miler, Gene completed his first Ironman triathlon and did it in a pretty respectable fashion I might add. So Gene, thank you very much for, for joining us here today. It's great to be with you. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. So, um, I, you know, I guess I want to talk about both of those things, Farm Sanctuary and uh, and the Ironman and, and just in general plant-based eating for fitness. Um, but let's let's start with Farm Sanctuary just for people who, who aren't familiar with you or, or are but, but want to know more about it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested to hear how, even how you got, how you got it all started because because, and, and sort of a background of, you know, what, what is Farm Sanctuary? What do you guys aim to do? Uh, and, you know, just sort of the, the background before we get sure. started. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Farm Sanctuary is a nonprofit organization that I co-founded in 1986. And we work to expose the abuses of factory farming. We do rescue work. So we actually rescue animals from inhumane treatment. It started out, in fact, with our investigations of stockyards and slaughterhouses and factory farms. And we would literally find living animals discarded like garbage. In some cases, they were thrown in trash cans. In some cases, they were literally thrown on piles of dead animals. So we started rescuing them. And, and we now have three sanctuaries, one in Watkins Glen, New York, uh, and two in California, one in Orland, which is just north of Sacramento, and one in Acton, which is near Los Angeles. And these are places where the animals get to live out their lives and people get a chance to come visit them, get to know them. We do events at our sanctuaries. Uh, so that is our rescue operation. We also do a lot of educational work. One of the reasons that animals are so badly treated is because most people just don't think about their food choices and about how uh, purchasing meat, milk, and eggs is contributing to horrible animal cruelty. So we work to raise awareness and educate people about the food system and encourage people to make food choices that are more compassionate and aligned with their own values. Because most people are humane, most people don't like cruelty, but most people are unwittingly supporting it. And so we want just to educate people. And then we advocate for reforms as well. We work on laws to end some of the worst cruelties. Uh, we work on uh, policies and encourage businesses not to support factory farms and to offer more plant-based options. So we do rescue, education, and advocacy, and we encourage people to get involved. And, and to do that, you can go to our website, which is farmsanctuary.org. 
Great. So, Gene, how did you how did you get into this? Is this did you grow up on a farm, or is this uh, something you picked up later in life? You know, I, I actually grew up in Hollywood, California, of all places. Oh no, kidding. When I was younger, uh, I kind of hate to admit it, but you know, I did commercials for places like McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, as an extra. I was uh, my mother got me and my brothers and sisters into the Screen Extras Guild. You know, they always need new kids because the kids they have keep getting older. And you basically are in the background in commercials or in television shows. And so I did that. And I grew up eating meat like everybody around me. And I didn't really think about it. So, you know, my parents were eating meat, my brothers and sisters, all my friends. So I just adopted the habit uh, without thinking about it. But as time went and as I started thinking about these issues and recognizing the cruelty involved, recognizing the inefficiency of animal farming and, and just how wasteful it is and how harmful it is to the environment, and also when I recognized that I could live and do very well eating plants instead of animals, I went vegan, and that was in 1985. And and so just a, a year later, you founded Farm Sanctuary. I mean, like, you know, how, how do you go from – I mean, Farm Sanctuary now, at least to me and I think to most people, it seems like a pretty big organization compared to some of these much smaller local farm sanctuaries. Um yeah, I mean, how do you go from just going vegan to to starting something like Farm Sanctuary? And I realize I realize that it didn't start out like it is today, of course. But yeah, I mean, you know, what what was what you say we're gonna we're gonna start doing this thing tomorrow? I mean, what you know, what did you start doing? Well, it was an issue that was not getting the kind of attention it needed, and that's why we founded Farm Sanctuary is to address this sort of hidden problem in the midst of us that most people were unwittingly supporting and part of. So it's very relevant. Um, and, you know, once I heard about this and learned about all the problems, I felt it was very important to deal with. Uh, and so when Farm Sanctuary started in 1986, you know, as you mentioned, it was very small. It was a couple of volunteers. It was we had a budget. The first year, our budget was, I think, seven thousand mm. dollars. And the way we raised a lot of that money was by selling vegetarian hot dogs at Grateful Dead concerts out of our <laughs> Volkswagen van. So, so that's how we funded it. And, and we also did outreach and education with our van. We had a table with literature and, and displays and information about factory farming. And then I also felt that it was very important to know firsthand what was happening. So we started visiting farms and stockyards to document conditions and, and to learn about it and to witness what was happening. And we would literally find animals discarded by the industry and we started rescuing them. So Farm Sanctuary has really been an evolution. We have responded to various needs. So we went in to investigate, to document, and expose abuses. We would find animals left for dead, so we then started rescuing them and caring for them. At the time, we were living in a little row house in Wilmington, Delaware, so we obviously needed more space. And then a farmer let us use his land for a little bit in Pennsylvania, and then we acquired the farm in Watkins Glen in 1989. And then that was our first permanent location. And so it's really just been an evolution, and we've responded to various needs. And thankfully, along the way, many people have helped out. Uh, we now have about 250,000 supporters and uh, staff of about 80 people. And we have the three locations, and we have uh, volunteers and, and people that work with us all across the country. Okay, so what's interesting to me, Gene, and one of the reasons that I that I love Farm Sanctuary is the, the image that it has – in my mind, is is one of uh, a very, I don't know. I guess it's sort of a, a gentle influence, like like you mentioned. Like there are these people, there are people who want who who are compassionate people um, and are sort of unwittingly, 
you know, contributing to all this suffering just by, by buying meat and dairy. People who say they're animal lovers but still do that without really realizing or maybe wanting to realize what really goes into that. Um, but, you know, so the way that you kind of try to impact those people, it seems to me at least, um, is in a very – is in sort of the not really in-your-face way, like a, a low-pressure way, I guess, compared to some of the other um, organizations out there that that – in many people's eyes, give give this whole movement, you know, a, a bad name. In, in others' eyes, it's it's not a bad name. I mean, it, people say that's sort of the work that needs to be done. But is that something that you are, like, deliberately doing? Is that deliberately part of the image that you're trying to be gentle, trying not to be in your face, um, you know, like doing things to, to attract attention versus, you know, just kind of quietly doing nice things for animals? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. A, a very important part of Farm Sanctuary and one of our values is that we speak to people where they are and we encourage people to take the steps that they can take towards a, a plant-based vegan lifestyle. But we also recognize that these changes are not going to happen overnight for a lot of people. So any step in that direction is something that we support and encourage. And in terms of our approach, uh, you know, as you say, it is gentle. And what we try to do is model a uh, more compassionate relationship with these other animals that most people unfortunately continue to consume without really thinking about it. So we sort of juxtapose the abuses of factory farming and, and, and contrast that sort of relationship, which is very exploitive and very cruel and very abusive and one that I think most people, when they look at it, don't feel very good about it. So we, we, we try to expose that and show it for what it is and then we try to model a different kind of relationship with these animals at Farm Sanctuary, where the animals are our friends, not our food. They're allowed to live out their lives. They're treated very much like other people treat their cats and dogs. And they're part of our family, part of our community. And, uh, and that's the sort of approach we take. And, and I think people are social animals. We tend to learn from those around us and do what those around us do. And so we just try to be a positive model for living in a kind way and treating other animals with compassion. And and I think that that's starting to rub off more and more uh, across the country as people hear about factory farming and recognize that they don't need to be part of it, don't need to support it. So, so I'm sure that, you know, when you think back on 1986, when you first started Farm Sanctuary, people just, uh, you know, there was a lot less information out there and a lot less um I don't know, people didn't really know what veganism was and plant-based, you know, diet was. You know, how do you think it's changed over the last, you know, 25 years? It, it, it has changed so much. And it's true, back in 1986, the idea of being vegan was very foreign to most people. And, you know, soy milk was not even easy to get. I remember having to get this powdered soy milk and mix it with water in order to have soy milk. <laughs> You know, now you can go to grocery stores and you can not only get soy milk, but you can get almond milk, you can get coconut milk. And if you go to health food stores, you can also get oat milk and hemp milk and, you know, all kinds of different sorts of nut milks. So it's becoming easier and easier to be vegan. Uh, and not only at health food stores, but at mainstream grocery stores, at mainstream restaurants that sell vegan food. And, and then you also have more and more vegan restaurants that are popping up all over the country. And, and there's an awareness about the problems associated with, you know, what's become the standard American diet, very centered on eating animal foods. 
And the consequences are tragic, not only for the billions of animals who suffer terribly to produce animal foods, but for consumers. The top two killers in the United States are heart disease and cancer, and the risks of both of those could be seriously lessened by shifting to a whole foods plant-based diet. In fact, health experts estimate that we could save something like 70% on our health care costs by shifting to a whole foods plant-based diet. So not only are animals suffering, but people are suffering. And then we have the environmental consequences. The United Nations put out a report a couple years ago talking about how animal agriculture is one of the top contributors to the most serious environmental problems we're facing uh, in, the, in, in the world. So this is an issue, a system that is bad for animals, it's bad for people, it's bad for the environment, and ultimately it, it, it makes all the sense in the world to shift to a whole foods plant-based diet, and more and more people, are, I think, are starting to see that. And so I'm very optimistic about the direction things are going right now. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's something I learned. Uh, uh, you know, I, I've never really, for, for whatever reason, been all that interested in, in the environmental stuff. I mean, and I, I admit that, you know, sort of, shamefully like I, I feel like i should um especially as i learn more about this stuff but anyway in, in writing my book i i you know had to research a lot of that and learned about that just just to sort of be able to present those sort of reasons and you know i saw like the livestock's long shadow report and some of it is just it's just fascinating and you know when and when you put it all together like that when you have the environment and animals and health um it it does seem like just a such a compelling argument for for this lifestyle um so yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. There, there's not that many things that you can point to that will have so many have so many impacts on the negative side if we support the animal farming business, but then have so many positive results on the plus side when we right. shift towards plant foods. It's you know this is how we eat every day is one of the most important decisions we make, and the consequences are profound. And I think people are really starting to to recognize that. So what do you think has been holding people back? Like, why do you think people are just now starting to realize that? You know, I think that human beings are very much creatures of habit. And we tend to do things that we grow up doing and that we see other people doing and that we start doing them. We don't really think about it. We just do them. And <laughs> that's the problem. And, it, and we've become complacent and it's very easy. And, you know, the animal farming business is ubiquitous. It is everywhere. We have fast food restaurants all over the place. We have commercials on television pushing this stuff. We have billboards. We have, you know, it's become so normalized. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, people, you know, just haven't really thought very much about it. And the information has not been as widely available either in the past. You know, when you had television and the mainstream media, you know, running commercials for McDonald's or these other large companies that sell animal foods, you know, it was pretty hard to break in and tell the story about the cruelty of factory farming and, and be able to promote plant-based living as easily. Now, with the internet and with YouTube and with Facebook and with social networks, with podcasts like this, there's information that's more widely available than ever before. It can be shared among friends. It can be shared with coworkers, with relatives. Information is more widely available than ever, and it's more democratic, frankly. It's, it, you know, lots of different people can contribute to the conversation now. And so I think the factory farming industry is sort of losing its control over the airwaves, losing its control over what is discussed. 
uh, now it's not going slowly or quietly. And uh, in fact, they are uh, fighting right now for legislation across the U.S. to make it illegal to take videotape and to, to distribute that videotape showing cruelty at factory farms. So this is an industry that is still working to try to prevent people from seeing what is happening. Uh, but, you know, I really think that uh, you know, the information is out and more and more people are seeing it and recognizing that they can make choices and they can be empowered to live in a way that they feel good about. Instead of, you know, raising the factory farming issue and, and, and people saying, don't tell me, I don't want to know, which has too often been the case, more and more people now are saying, you know, I want to know and I want to live in a way and eat in a way that I can feel good about. And, uh, and with that attitude, with that approach, you know, I think we're in the midst of a, a burgeoning food movement. Excellent. Yeah, that, that's true. And that, that certainly does seem to be the, uh, the, I don't know, light at the end of the tunnel, silver lining, whatever, whatever uh, little cliche you want to use there. Um, it does, you know, it does seem to be getting better. It seems like an overwhelmingly bad state in, in many ways, but, uh, the, you know, it does seem to be improving. So, um, and, and thanks very, of course, very much to organizations like Farm Sanctuary. Um, so, you know, I guess let's, let's shift gears. That's, that's probably about, um, the most we've talked, like more than we've talked about ethical things in the entire history of No Meat Athlete. We just did <laughs> in, in about 10 minutes there. Um, so I want to get into, into your Ironman gene and, and more than that, um, you know, just your, your progress from, I don't know when you actually started out as an athlete or runner, but, uh, you know, to me, it seemed like an extremely quick progression that, I mean, cause I just back in, uh, I guess it was 2000. 12, when we ran our uh, nomad athlete group, went to went to D.C. for the Rock and Roll USA Marathon and Half Marathon, and you were there and kind of just happened to stop by our little dinner the night before, and I think that was your first marathon, and now, you know, just, what, a year and a half later, you're, you're doing an Ironman. So, you know, aside from the ethical things, I think people can learn a lot from you um, as as athletes. I mean, you you ran that, that marathon extremely well. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm interested to hear how, how this all happened so when did you when did you like you know before that marathon in in 2012 um what was your what was your history as an athlete had you just started running or had you worked your way up through 5ks 10ks and all that for years yeah well you know i've been a runner since high school but but it wasn't a very organized approach i would just go running in the hills or in hollywood where i grew up or I lived on the farm up in Watkins Glen for many years, and it was a lot of very beautiful country there, so I would run around that area. And I would do it more recreationally and just sort of to clear my mind, get my heart beating, and, and just to stay in shape to some extent. And then I also played Ultimate Frisbee a lot, so I really enjoyed that. <laughs> but I didn't really get into organized endurance events until probably around 2008 when I did my first half marathon, but that was still a few years before my first full marathon, which, you know, as you said, was the rock and roll marathon in Washington, D.C. that we ran in together. And um, my girlfriend played a large role in this. She's been a triathlete for, I guess, about five or six years. And um, she gave me a training program for the, the rock and roll marathon in D.C., which I followed. And that went well. And then, you know, since then, I've done a couple of other marathons and I've you know, started by doing shorter triathlons. I did an Olympic was my first, and then I did a sprint, and then I did a half Ironman. And, you know, my girlfriend and I both wanted to do an Ironman. So we signed up for the Ironman Lake Placid, which was last July, and we trained as much as we could, although it takes so much time. And, you know, we 
travel a fair bit. So didn't really train, you know, 100% like the program would have suggested, but, you know, did a reasonable job of training. And then we both did the Ironman uh, on July 28th up in Lake Placid. We both felt very good. You know, afterwards, we were not sore. We were able to walk around and, and felt really good about it. And I think it really is a testament to how plant foods really support athletic performance and also support recovery. Because um, the next day when we were walking around Lake Placid, a lot of these other athletes were limping around and looked pretty pretty rough, but we were doing very well. <laughs> yeah, recovery does seem to be the, the benefit uh, that that is the primary one. Um, whenever I've interviewed like, you know, an elite athlete, Scott Jurek, Brendan Brazier types, that's always what they say. It's, it's recovery is like the, the big difference that they notice when they, you know, switch to a plant-based diet. So, um, Gene, your time was like 12 hours or something, right? Right, right. Like 11, 59, 25. Oh, yeah. so just under 12 <laughs> hours. Nice. I bet you were watching the clock as you ran that marathon. And you broke four hours in the marathon, right? I did, yeah. Yeah, that's I amazing. That's incredible. Congratulations. That's that's really uh, – I mean, I don't know that much about Ironman times. To me, that seems extremely fast. I mean, running a four-hour marathon is uh, not simple to do when you haven't done a 112-mile bike and two-and-a-half-mile swim and all that. But, um, you know, you rocked it, man. That's, that's great. Yeah. Well, thanks. It really, really felt good. And, you know, luckily we had great weather. Um, it was a little rainy in the morning, so that was a little bit scary for the bike because it's a very hilly course. And Where was know, the course, Gene? It's in Lake Placid, so it was very hilly, right. very hilly, and and uh, there was about a 5,000-foot elevation climb over the course, over the entire distance, so it's, you know, pretty, a lot of ups and downs. Um, so early on, because of the rain, you know, there's some concern about the road, but it dried out quickly, and it stayed cool all day long, which was very, very helpful because, you know, you generate a lot of heat when you're going for that long. And and that was really a a, a big benefit when when sure. the marathon came around. So a lot of things just fell into place, and I feel really good about it. And now we're starting to think about what what next. What's going to be the next uh, tri- right. Ironman? What's going to be the next triathlon? Maybe going to do some uh, ultra marathons. I'm not sure. I'm just thinking about all the different possibilities and uh, very curious about what's out there. So do you, do you feel like you had caught the uh, endurance bug before you ran that first rock and roll marathon, or was that really what got you started? <laughs> you know, it, I think the bug just sort of grows in you a little bit, you know, and <laughs> it, it's interesting to, to try this and to see how your body responds. And for right. me, that's a big part of it is to push your body and listen to your body and, you know, push it, but don't break it, you know, and and I've got some more pushing to do, but I, I want to be careful not to push it too hard. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I'm 51 now, so I uh, I'm an older guy, and it's I, I plan to do this for a while, but I want to do it in a in a way that is smart and is in a way that is sustainable and in a way that is ultimately uh, going to not cause injuries or or other harm to my body. Yeah, I guess it sounds like you have a lot of patience, which maybe is an advantage of of getting into it at you know, at the age of 51, or I guess whenever you started, which might have been late 40s, uh, I feel like when, when people get into it in their early 20s, they want to just go through every ultra distance in the same season and, uh, you know, just push, 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 and and inevitably get injured. I've done it. I mean, not, you know, everyone has, but uh, that's good. So, I, I'm, Gene, I'm curious, you mentioned, like, the training load and how much it, how difficult it was to train, or, or just how kind of, uh, you know, how much an interruption to your life training for an Ironman was. 
Um, how different was it from training for, for a marathon? Just because, like, my experience with ultra running has been that you really can, like, you can train for a 50 miler without doing too much different than you would, um, for a hard marathon training. And even for this 100 miler that I did the same weekend as your Ironman, um, you know, I never got up to more than 60 miles a week or so. On my, on my very longest run weekends, I, I did get past 60 for the weeks, but, uh, you know, it didn't feel like it was anything that much different. I've heard, uh, Ironman is different though. I've heard that because there's the different sports that you have to do all of them, that somehow it just ends up being a lot more hours. Is that, was that your experience? Yeah, that was my experience. And, and one of the challenges too with an Ironman is that, you know, I travel a lot. And so if I would be, you know, somewhere without a bike, for example, I certainly couldn't do any training on the bike. And also finding a pool in different places is not easy. You know, whereas with running, you know, you can do that pretty much anywhere. Yeah. So um, there were some challenges with the Ironman training to, to find the opportunity to, to be biking and to be swimming as well as running. And like with marathon training, usually you have a day where you do like a long bike ride. And in some cases, those were longer than six hours. So that's a, a big chunk of time on the weekend to sure. to spend on the bike. So... Um, I think when I do these in the future, I'm going to be looking to be a little more efficient and maybe spend a little less time training and uh, and see how that goes. But uh, but I missed a lot of my, um, you know, scheduled workouts just because I wasn't able to to find the time. And and so that's that's the challenge is balancing all these things. And there were a couple of times when I would get up at a crazy, you know, like 4 a.m. to get in a bike ride or a run and. And that's not ideal either. So uh, I, I hope not to do that very much in the future either. Right. So, okay, as we said, um, you know, your progression through those distances from marathon to Ironman, um, it, it just seemed to me to sort of come out of nowhere. Do you have any advice? And I realize I'm putting you kind of on the spot here because um, I didn't didn't warn you about a question like this. But do you have any advice? I mean, what what kind of what is it that that has worked for you in in say going from a marathon to an Ironman or even from half up to a full or even from, from just casual running up to a half marathon. I mean, what, you know, what has worked really well for you? What kind of stuff would you recommend to someone who, who, you know, might have dreams of doing an Ironman or even a marathon and uh, doesn't know, doesn't know really where to start or how to, how to do it right. Yeah. Well, I think it's important, you know, to listen to your body and to push it, but to, to listen to it and, and, and be, be, be aware of, you know, how hard you're pushing it. And food is also really important. It's good to eat healthy, healthy food. So I've been doing a lot of green smoothies lately where I have a Vitamix blender and I'll put kale and spinach and bananas and blueberries and some kind of non-dairy milk or water, maybe some flaxseed or some, some nuts in there and blend that up. And just eating really good nutrient-dense food has been something that I have found has been very helpful. And, you know, leading up to the Ironman, I ate a lot of arugula because I heard that it's very good at supporting endurance sports. So certain types of foods actually help your blood deliver oxygen to the muscles and help you to perform and, and help you to do well. So for me, it's listening to my body has also been putting food in it that really nourishes it and supports it to to push itself to do these endurance events. So, so since you've been traveling so much, or you were traveling so much during the training, do you have any tips for 
you know, how you can keep, uh, you know, focused on what food you're putting in your body and still be on the road at the same time? Yeah, that is sometimes one of the more difficult things. And and luckily, when I travel, I, I'm usually in, in big cities and there are health food stores and there are food co-ops. So I'm usually able to get good food at places like that. But even if I can't get to, say, a health food store, you know, just going to a regular grocery store and getting greens is something that I try to do often. And um, eating whole foods as much as possible. When I'm on the plane, I will usually travel with some fruit or some nuts uh, and, and dried fruit, for example. Um, but but it, it can be a challenge in some cases. And, uh, and drinking water is another thing, especially when you travel and you're in a plane. Drinking water and being hydrated is so important. It really helps the body to process food and, and to function as well as it needs to, um, especially when you're training and you're trying to recover. So, so a lot of water is another very positive thing. You know what you said, Gene, about the, the grocery store uh, and, and you know eating, just buying greens because you can get that pretty much anywhere. It made me realize that, um, that as I've started to eat more that way, and I like during 100-mile training, it was definitely – I would say that sort of the cleanest I've eaten in, in my entire life. I've just shifted so much towards um, the produce section of the grocery store and the, you know, the bulk, the nuts, some grains, things like that. Um, basically stuff that doesn't come in packages. And I realized that that's, that's available in almost every grocery store you go to. I mean, even, you know, maybe not the very, very worst, most remote spots, but you don't necessarily need a health food store to have, to find a place that has a decent produce section and a decent bulk food section and uh, you know if you're not if you're not eating like the the fake meat product and the the vegan junk food stuff, it's it's not really that hard to find this vegan food in in most grocery stores, especially in a health food store if you happen to be in a big city or something like that. That that is really true, and you can also get frozen vegetables in mm-hmm. some cases, or even like canned beans, which you know maybe isn't ideal, but you can do that, and you can get some pretty good nutrition on the road in regular grocery stores all over the place. Yeah, and frozen for those who don't know are are often more nutritious than than something that is not quite fresh, like something that was picked you know a week ago or two weeks ago and you're eating now, just because they can generally freeze it immediately and they kind of lock in all that nutrition. And I'm sure there are certain vegetables and fruits that that uh, degrade somewhat nutritionally when they're frozen, but I think for the most part it's a extremely healthy way to do it. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. And actually, the other day I went out to the store and got some frozen cherries. Because mm-hmm. I had read that cherries are very good at helping with recovery. Yep, I've heard that. And and I just eat them right out of the bag. It's like in, on a hot summer day, eating frozen cherries is like cherry popsicle drop <laughs> or something. Right. It's pretty nice. I've gotten into buying watermelon recently at the grocery store. They're like five bucks, and you get a watermelon that lasts for a week. And uh, mm. it was Michael Arnstein who got me into this because I started listening to some of his stuff. He's the fruitarian. I think you probably have come across him, Gene, I would imagine. Yeah, so so um, this watermelon then you you do you blend it or I just like cut it up one time out of the rind and everything and then just eat it throughout the week. Uh I actually did blend it today. Sometimes I'll just throw it in a smoothie and just blend it up. Uh but for the most part I just kinda snack on it and my kid eats it all the time. He loves it. And is that also good for endurance uh sports? Well, Mike Arnstein's whole philosophy is you know basically that he eats almost entirely raw fruit and vegetables. And uh, his big thing was was that he eats so many water-rich foods that he says his hydration is just through the roof. And he claimed, I think, that he was like a 250 marathoner, which is great, but but uh, not you know not not Olympic level or anything like that. Um, 
And then, and then once he switched to this diet, he claimed he went down to like a 225 marathon or over the course of, I don't know, some amount of months. And, but wow. he said that shift was entirely diet, which I thought was just amazing that, that it could do that. But I don't know. I tend to believe him. He seems to be, um, really into it. He wins 100 milers now and then and, uh, runs 30 miles a day, apparently, to and from work. And so I don't know. I, I'm, I'm finding his stuff really interesting recently. Yeah, that does sound interesting. And, uh, you know, I certainly have had some experience with, you know, eating healthier food and feeling better and being able to for- perform better as well. Uh, so, you know, maybe kicking it up a notch and, <laughs> and going towards some of the things he does would, would help even more. It's possible. I don't know. I, I would have to, I'm scared to do that basically. It's just like, <laughs> I mean, I know there are books written on 80, 10, 10 and stuff like that. I haven't personally researched it all that much. Uh, but 80, 10, 10 isn't that far from the way a lot of vegan athletes eat. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, people tend to vary on how much fat they're taking in. Uh, protein doesn't often vary that much from 10 or 15 or 20 percent. But uh, the fat is certainly a, a big difference from the way, you know, you know, Brendan Brazier, Scott Jerk, they're definitely fans of like adding oil to smoothies and things like that. Whereas the other more the whole foods movement, whole food movement, I should say, and, and this fruitarian movement, and they're certainly very much anti oil and to some extent anti fat, even in things like avocados and things like that. Yeah, no, that's true. It's true. And I, I personally like some fat mm-hmm. and, you know, and I like avocados a lot and I, you know, eat nuts as well and seeds. Um, but it's, it's an ongoing process, you know, and I guess that's where listening to each of us listening to our own body and then fueling it in the way that, you know, feels best. And one thing about training is that you kind of have a way to measure, you know, yeah. how you feel and then also how fast you go. Sure. All right. All right. Well, um, I, I don't have that many more questions. I mean, I think I think that's kind of all that I wanted to hit today. Doug, you got anything else for Gene before we let him go here? Uh, well, I, I do actually. I was curious um, what you ate during the Ironman. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What your fueling strategy was there? Yeah. No. It's it's you know when you're doing an event that takes that long and you're expending so much energy, you definitely need to focus on fueling because you're going to run out of gas if you don't put fuel in the tank. Right. Um, so to begin with, I, um, you know, ate a, a, some oatmeal for breakfast, bananas, you know, things like that. And then on the uh, bike, I had perpetuum in, in water bottles, you know, and perpetuum is made by hammer and it's a product with slow release sugars. And I also had coconut water. Um, so the coconut water for the hydration and electrolytes the perpetuum for the energy, and I also had some fizz uh, in with the perpetuum for electrolytes. And then I also had some Endurolytes tablets uh, mm-hmm. that I took during some on the bike and some on the run. And then also when I got on the run, I had another big old container of coconut water. So for me, coconut water was pretty significant. Uh, during the marathon, I uh, stopped at the stations and I would get fruit and water. I did some of the uh, Gatorade type of drink they had there, but not very much. I I don't like that kind of sugary stuff. So I tried to go towards the fruits. I sort of look at the, and I don't use gels either. Mm -hmm. I sort of look at bananas as natural gels. (laughs) And uh, and so I had some bananas and water and Endurolite tablets on the run and the coconut water. So, so that was basically it. Wow. 
Sounds a lot um, less junk food than when I ate on my 100, which was like all kinds of, you know, anything you could imagine. I guess compared to what most ultra runners eat, which is potato chips and cookies and M&Ms and soda. I mean, yeah. not that I didn't have some soda. I had a little bit of that. But uh, it's just funny. I guess I guess triathlons maybe haven't, and even Ironmans haven't, uh, I guess it's sort of a different mindset than the ultra runners. I think the Ironman is kind of the more type A's and uh, people who, who uh, I don't know, like like the food that's really meant for that process whereas the ultra runners will basically eat anything that makes them not quit and that makes them happy um which could be coffee beer potato <laughs> chips. so i i ate my share of um foods that i would not normally eat but but it was certainly i mean it was, it was the entire vegan entirely vegan um and for the most part whole foods pretty much the only thing i could eat from the aid stations was was fruit well, you know, a lot of the um, Ironman uh, athletes were also eating a bunch of junk, I got to oh, really? say. And a, a number of them suggested drinking the Coke. They had Coke at these stations. And uh, people said that somehow that really gives you a charge. But, you know, I was feeling good. And I sort of held to that that belief that you don't do anything new on race day. So <laughs> I, didn't, uh, I didn't go for the Coke, although... A number of people said they do it and it works, but but I I didn't do it. Yeah, I do it. Um, I I try to save it for the last maybe twenty percent or ten percent of an ultra marathon. Uh, but it it certainly does give you a kick at that point. I think because the you know high fructose corn syrup is just so the reason it's so bad for you normally is because you don't have to do any work to process it. It just goes immediately into your you know gives you energy that you generally don't need. Uh, but but when you're running, it it's good to have a. I mean, in, I guess some people would argue that it's good to have something like that can do that. So that was good. Um, yeah. I, and, and I, and, and, you know, I, and, and I've heard what you just said there that I've heard a number of people say that. So I, I may start experimenting with it. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned Perpetuum. I actually had heed during mine, which is also a hammer product. And, uh, this question, I actually had, I'd always had Gatorade before that and realized I was having some stomach issues from it or just kind of wouldn't want to eat after about the first marathon of an ultra. So people on my blog recommended that I, try heed and i did and kind of took me a while to get over the taste but i came to really love it and i found that during the 100 mile i, I basically drank it at every single aid station the entire day but uh it had this ingredient in it called carnosine have you heard of this gene i don't think i have no it is i believe it's some sort of amino acid i i hate to sound uneducated on here like i don't know what i mean i probably should know more about this but anyway i was it seemed that it was a non-vegan ingredient it's something that can apparently only be synthesized in animals and not in plants um, but Hammer says that, you know, they very clearly label what to their stuff is vegan and what is not. And, and he was vegan. And I imagine the perpetuum that you were using is too. You probably would have checked that out, I'm sure. But yeah, anyway, they, might... they... oh, go ahead. Yeah, you know, that's my understanding. And also with perpetuum, it was something for, I think, a longer race. So I thought yeah. heat was actually for shorter distances. It is. Um, I just, people had said that, that the heat was really good and tolerable for a long period of time. And I had heard that the perpetuum was sort of, um, I don't know, kind of thicker and maybe a little bit harder to to get down. So yeah, and it's they have per perpetuum powder you mix with a liquid and you can mix it in different concentrations, more or less that, thick. And then they also have these perpetuum solids that are these little uh, tablets that you chew, and they're pretty chalky. <laughs> so <laughs> so I might try mixing a little heat and a little perpetuum and see what happens next time. <laughs> Yeah, but I've definitely heard. I mean, I've read. It says right on the package that perpetuum is like for the events longer than three hours. But anyway, I was trying to just um, basically transition away from Gatorade, so I figured that heat was sort of the next uh, the next step in that direction before I 
went to Perpetuum. But I've heard good things about Perpetuum for sure. Yeah. But anyway, that ingredient, I, I assume it's like a lab synthesized or something, that carnosine. Um, I'm, I still haven't gotten a great answer. I haven't really asked Heat, like Hammer, about it yet, but um, I'd be happy if anyone would could, could kind of chime in and explain what is going on there because I'd be interested to know. Yes. Yeah, me, me too, you know, because <laughs> as we get into these things, we're going to be learning. And, uh, yeah, if anybody knows about those products, that's certainly helpful. And uh, and we'll, we'll be learning, I think, as time goes as well, just through our own uh, experiences. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say about it is you mentioned that bananas are kind of like natural gels. Um, have you tried, like, fresh dates with pits in them? Ah, I have not. They, that's another Mike Arnstein thing. He Apparently he ate those the entire Vermont 100-miler, which he won. Uh, wow. To me, those are basically exactly like a gel. I mean, they're they when they're in their mouth, you know, they're they're that same consistency. Apparently, the glucose, as soon as it gets under your tongue, begins being absorbed. So they're they're very good for that sort of thing. They're about the same size as a gel packet too. I like got two or three dates and kind of the same concentration, very similar. Like like very, a lot of sugar in a small space. Very very good point. And that's what you want when you're doing that sort of endurance. A, a lot of sugar, a lot of energy in a in a small uh, package. So yep. I'll I'll try that. That's great to know. Good. All right. Well, on that note, um, I think we should wrap it up. And uh, you know, for those who who don't know about Farm Sanctuary or didn't before, um, you know, please check out the website. It is farmsanctuary.org, right, Gene? Yep, farmsanctuary.org. And we didn't mention your book at all, but Gene also has a book. Um, it's called Farm Sanctuary, Changing Hearts and Minds About Animals and Food. Uh came out a few years ago now, but um, it's one that actually is on my list to read. I have not read it, to be honest, Gene, but um, as I've gotten to know you more, it's it has made it onto my list of books to read. So you should feel Great. very honored by that. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. No, thanks. Um, yeah, so check out that. Anything else, Gene, where, we sh- where people can go to find out more? You read on the Farm Sanctuary blog sometimes, right? I, I do. Occasionally, I'll write on the Farm Sanctuary blog. In fact, the current one has to do with the Ironman Triathlon and just what that experience was like. So, yeah, just go to the farmsanctuary.org website, and we have a blog section, and you can read about it there. One of the things that was a little, you know, unfortunate is right after the Ironman, you're given a glass of chocolate cow's milk, you know. Yeah. So they're really promoting that as a recovery drink. So, uh, But, you know, so us plant-based athletes have our – work cut out for us just continuing to raise awareness and, and i was really happy to be there but I, I talk about that a little bit in the blog mm-hmm. cool all right well we will link that up in the show notes here but for anyone who does not visit the website uh, and just i mean does not visit nomeatathlete.com just listens to the podcast uh, you know go to the farmsanctuary.org site and just click the blog link and i'm sure you'll find it that way and, and Matt, I think it's probably worth noting that uh that there's a little bit of a connection between your book and farm sanctuary right there is a small connection. Um, I wanted to to kind of just do something, make sort of some statement at the beginning uh, that that would you know support something and encourage other people to to do something. So what I decided to do with the book was donate 10% of all the author royalties to uh, organizations like Farm Sanctuary, and for, you know for the most part it would be Farm Sanctuary, but I sort of left the door open in case I kind of discover other very similar organizations that I like a lot. But uh, yeah, so so Farm Sanctuary will be the the primary beneficiary. So there's there's another reason to go buy that book. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I really love your book. So oh, it's, good. Uh, thank you. Yeah, and Gene, you wrote a nice blurb for it, which I appreciate. So thank you yeah. for that. Really looking forward to it coming out. I am too. It should be fun. Yes. All right. Well, Gene, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. Um, I learned a lot, and I hope everyone else did too. I'm sure they did. So uh, we will talk to you soon, Gene. Thanks a lot. 
Great talking to you guys. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Gene. Thanks. So we are back uh, after our interview with Gene Bauer, and uh, that was good. He's he's a great guy. He's someone who has been uh, just a very very cool, down to earth guy ever since we've known him. Since we met him in D.C., I guess it was all, you know a year and a half ago now, and uh, we saw him in, at the New York City Veg Fest when he was there as a speaker. Doug, when you and I were there back in I think it was October or something, or no, I got yeah. completely wrong. No, it was like uh, that was D.C. Veg Fest. That was in February, I think. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, yeah, very very cool guy, great guy, and I think it's just I think it's awesome that he, I mean he really is kind of a beast at these endurance sports that he's doing. Uh, for it, it just seems to me that it's not. Uh, it just seems to be like kind of a secondary, like you know you know him as the farm sanctuary guy and the activist right. who does all this stuff. So like when we when he found out when we found out he was running the marathon, that was awesome. And then he ran like a, I don't know three twenty five or something, qualified for Boston, uh, beat I think pretty much everyone in our no meat athlete group. And it was just like you know he, so it, it's just cool that he that he does that, and then goes on to do this twelve hour Ironman, which like I said, I don't know that much about Ironman times, but that seems like a really good time. I mean, at least if if the marathon uh, time of under four hours after those other two events, you know, is any indicator, right? Then, uh, you know that that seems pretty crazy. So yeah. uh, so very cool, great guy to talk to, and uh, we appreciate it. And you know, absolutely do check out his stuff. Check out farmsanctuary.org if you don't know much about it yet, uh, and his book and his blog. So, yeah, I don't know. Doug, what do you think about um, – and I'm interested to hear what readers or listeners, I should say, what they thought about this too. I mean we, we don't really tend to talk about ethical issues that much on No Meat Athlete, um, not because we don't care about them by any means, but um, because it's – I mean it's sort of a deliberate thing. Like I, I don't I don't generally like the content to go that direction in my blog post because I don't – you know, I'm, I guess in some way I don't, I don't want to be seen as like someone who's kind of pushing this diet on people. Um, right. and I absolutely don't want to be seen as that, but, um, it's also because I, I, I think that's kind of the most effective way, at least for me to spread this message is by being the opposite of what people expect when they think of a vegan, which, which for many people is, is that sort of in your face. Um, I mean, I don't know, whatever, whatever example you want, throwing the blood or demonstrating at <laughs> things. And, and I, you know, as I've said before, I think a lot of that stuff is important, like demonstrating at things. I think that is good to, to, you know, to raise awareness by being visible and uh we talked in the podcast about how it was sort of like people are kind of unwitting unwitting participants in this system that they don't realize is doing harm and i think raising awareness um in a way that's you know maybe not intrusive but but um but is definitely there you know i think that's great uh it's just for the most part is not my shtick i guess you know i I tend to be much better about being very very low-key about it uh writing about you know what you know how just how how great you can feel and how, and how kind of happy and, and fun and, you know, good life can be with this sort of lifestyle and, and including endurance sports or any kind of sports really and how the diet works with those, uh, whether it makes you actually better at them or not. You know, I'm, I'm even hesitant to say that. Like I, it seems to me like it has for me. Uh, I don't, I don't know enough to say that it, that it will for everyone. So I'm, I'm just sort of, uh, you know, it's, I don't know. So that's, I'm, I'm interested to hear what people think about, you know, just that kind of content because it certainly is fun to talk about. And and Gene's someone who I think I do share a lot of views with. Sure. Uh, you know, not not just about what's right and wrong, but then also you know what's the best way to to spread this message. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested yeah. to hear what what people think about it. Yeah, you know, it was really interesting to talk to him. I think it was it was good because he's such, you know, he was doing this back in the '80s, which uh, when it wasn't nearly as 
mainstream as it is now. Right. Um, you know, and I'm, and, and in a lot of ways he was kind of a, probably a trailblazer, um, Oh yeah. For definitely. For you know, for for veganism and and this, this plant based diet, and I, I don't know. I think it's it was interesting to talk to him and his, um, as you mentioned in the podcast, his kind of um, not so much in your face approach um, towards his activism, um, right. and and just kind of showing compassion for the animals and compassion for people who and just educating people. Um, but at the same time, you know, he's he's. It sounds like he's lobbying you know, for, for different laws, you know, lobbying lawmakers and, and, um, kind of just getting the word out any way he can. Um, I don't know, it's it interesting. And, and I think that it's, we can all learn a lot from that and, you know, really put our vote with our dollar, you know, put our money where our mouth is and, uh, literally and, and, <laughs> you know, buy things that, that we believe in, but, you know, stick to a diet that, that we really believe in and, and spend our money that way. Right. And another thing that we didn't really mention, but I, I guess is sort of uh, doesn't need to be said, maybe, is is that, you know, he's we, we just talked about him getting into these sports for his own just because he enjoys them and, and he likes the challenge, likes pushing his body, like he said. But because he is a kind of visible guy, I mean, especially to anyone who supports Farm Sanctuary and gets their their letters every few months or whatever, um, you know, to, to know that the founder who who is such a strong advocate of a plant based diet, that he d- does an Ironman in 12 hours. Uh, that's a pretty big, um, you know, it speaks pretty strongly about about health benefits of of the diet. At least in the way that it it completely goes against this this what hopefully is becoming old fashioned idea that that if if you're a vegetarian or vegan you're going to be weak and have no energy and, and right. all that stuff. Yeah. So yeah. So so I don't know. I I think he's a cool guy. I think it's I think it's um I don't know. I have I have nothing but good things to say about uh the just you know him as a person and the way that uh, that. You know, kind of, kind of the public image that he has has built uh, for for Farm Sanctuary. And and I just have to say, I've met him a few times now, and I had no idea he was 51 years old. <laughs> he looks way no. younger. No, yeah, he certainly doesn't look yeah. 51. I don't know if that's his diet or what, but he looks good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, you know, I guess that's about it. Let's let's wrap it up. We got a few more guests kind of in line for the podcast. Uh, I'm not really sure what's next, though, so I don't really know what to tease, but. Um, Personally, I'm sort of in recovery mode right now. I'm actually doing some weightlifting and trying to just uh, put some muscle back on after I lost a ton of it during 100-miler training. Um, taking it easy with runs. We've got the uh, the relay coming up. Doug, I don't think we mentioned that on the podcast, did we? We did last time. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was that recent that we did. But, yeah, you're right. We did. So we've got that. Um, you doing well with that, Doug? Training going well? Running three and four times a day, I hope? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, three times a day. Um, no, we uh... – <laughs> We got our assignments for the relay legs the other day, and it looks like you and I are running the longest legs. Yes, I saw that, like 35 to 39 miles or something. Each. Yeah, yeah. So that'll, that'll be, be fun. It will be fun. Yeah. It, it definitely will. All right. Um, on that note, let's end it. Everyone, All thanks right. you for listening. Uh, we appreciate it, and we will see you soon.